Blog Talk Radio. All right, fans, here we go. Four two-minute rounds of boxing scheduled. Women's in the ring. Your hooks and jabs look at female boxing. This is episode number 104. My name is Felipe Leon, and all the way from the Bay Area of what's that? What's the what's the what's the state? Is the Golden State right, California, David? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I kind of I, I I had a a blue head gasket right there from the Golden State. <laughs> uh, Miss Lupe Gutierrez. Lupe, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good, thanks. And from the Inland Empire out here, just Los Angeles, Mr. Hall of Fame, David Avila. David, how are you doing tonight? Very good, Felipe. Uh, hi, Lupi. Hi, David. Well, folks, we have a shockful uh, show tonight. Last last uh, last show, which was number 103, we had... Uh, Mr. Mark Taffet, uh, obviously former HBO executive and now co-manager of one of the best female fighters around, Clarissa Shields. And we also have Cesar Garcia, who is a Los Angeles-based promoter, uh, manager, uh, all-around boxing guy. And he's actually putting on a a WBC interim super flyweight title fight uh, in March in Mexico between Sona Osorio, the champion, and Adelaida Ruiz. We have them both on the show on number 103. If you haven't caught that one, you can catch it um, in our archives here at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash two-minute round. And this week, we're going to continue with the two guests. Our first guest is going to be veteran promoter and um, sports TV uh, – I'm sorry. Expert. Expert. I'm sorry. Arnie Tokyo Rosenthal. He's going to be with us. He's going to talk about – um, we, we've been announcing obviously March 5th is that Superwoman pay-per-view that Mark Taffet has something to do with and Dimitri Salida of Dimitri, uh, Salida Promotions and it's the first time that a female fight has headlined a pay-per-view since 2001. I believe that Mr. Rosenthal was the promoter of the one in 2001, David? Uh, I'm not sure about the 2001 but he did several. He also did uh, all female fight cards uh, numerous uh, female fight cards in the early 2000s. Well, he's going to talk to us about that. He's going to talk to us about his view of the current uh, female boxing scene and anything that has to do, obviously, with female boxing. And then our guest in our second half of the show is going to be none other than heavyweight contender now. We could have called her a prospect because she's going to know, but she's a contender because she's going to be fighting for the vacant interim heavyweight WBC title, Ms. Danielle Perkins. She's going to be with us on the second half of the show. So let's go back real quick to our fight results. There's only one major fight in the last two weeks, but it was a doozy. And I don't I don't know if you guys had a chance to see it, but on Saturday, February 6th, in Hermosillo, Mexico, on the Azteca Channel in Mexico, WBC Super Bantamweight Champion Jamelis Mercado scored a unanimous decision over the tough 
Alejandra Roquera Guzman in a 10-rounder. This was the first defense of her 122-pound WBC title. The scores there were 98-92 two times in 98-93. Now, one thing that I don't know if you guys knew this, David and Lupi, but um, Alejandra Guzman turns out that she had a metal bar, some type of metal thing in her right arm, obviously from a previous uh, uh, injury. And in the first round, they scored a punch. Both of them threw a punch at the same time, and Mercado actually hit her arm, hit Guzman's arm, and and made that bar inside the arm get out of place. So Guzman, oh. from, the, from, Guzman from the first round to the last round actually was fighting with the hurt right hand. She thought it was something to do oh. with the wrist. After the fight, once the adrenaline was out, she almost fainted from the pain that she was oh, feeling wow. in that arm. And I don't know, I don't know if you've seen it, but if you guys search, I'm sure in the internet since we've been talking on our private chat that internet is forever. Um, <laughs> if you search the internet, you'll see very graphic photos and a video of when she's being operated in to reset that metal bar in her arm. So Guzman is actually going to be out for nearly a year um, out of boxing because. Oh, they need yeah. to give her about about six months for that thing to set, and then they're gonna then she needs to um, get reoperated, and then she has, she's gonna be out for another three months. So we might not see her in the ring again for about a year. Um, and in the fifth round, wow. Mercado in the fifth round, Mercado suffered a a ruptured uh, eardrum, her right eardrum. Uh, she suffered a ruptured eardrum, which you know, that could uh, mess with the equilibrium. And she fought from the fifth round on um, with that lesion. Wow. And she, she has gone and gotten that treated. She had a small, very small surgery to get that fixed. So it was a rough and tumble fight. Guzman almost scored the upset in the last round when she hurt Mercado twice, once with the right hand, unbelievably and surprisingly so, with the hurt right hand, hurt Mercado. And then she followed up seconds later with the left hook, that also shook Mercado, but Mercado was able to survive the round and with that take the unanimous decision. I thought it was a little bit closer slightly, but Mercado deserved the win. So it was a it was a pretty good fight. I, I mean, it was one of the early of this year's female fights of major consequence and it could be a candidate for fight of the year because they were they were dishing it out as good as they were getting it, David. Well, well, considering the circumstances, I mean, that's really got to be considered one of the fight of the years. Yeah, did you guys you guys didn't get a chance to see it? It might be on YouTube already. No, not me. No, Lupi. I'll take a look. I, I'll take a look. I'm actually looking for the pictures right now. I'm having a hard time, but there, there's articles about it. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Let's move on a little bit to our fight chatter before we have our first guest, Mr. Arnie, Arnie Rosenthal, who should be calling in the next uh, eight seven to eight minutes. Earlier this week, former WBC and current WBA featherweight champion Jelena Maranovic alluded to her next fight in a post on her social media. She stated in her post, and I quote, with all the, I'm going to say a bad word here, bullshit happening in my life right now, I hope I get to announce a fight, a next fight very soon, very in capital letters. Potential opponents are on the horizon. One of them might share a common opponent. Do you know who it could be? Then, in one of her comments, of the post in her Instagram when she was asked about um, 
Amanda Serrano, if she were to fight her in the future, she said, I wish the WBC awarded her a belt before I can fight her, perhaps down the road when she is done collecting empty titles. That's what Elena Moranovic stated in her post on her social media. Lupe, my question to you is, you know, you've gone to, I think you've gone to all three conventions, the female WBC conventions. I know you went to Cancun. Um, I know you went to Tijuana. I know you went to the Philippines. I went to the Cancun one in Tijuana. I didn't go to the Philippines. Um, yeah, I didn't go to Cancun. I went to the Philippines. Okay. So then, but your sister was at the Cancun one, right? Yes, she's been to all of them. Yeah. So, and we know that Jelena Moranovich has been at those as well, and she has been mm-hmm. um, supported uh, by the WBC. She's been a champion of the WBC for a long time. You know, what is your take on the fact that they elevated her, quote-unquote, to champion emeritus and awarded Serrano the WBC belt? Do you think it's kind of like, you know, out with the old and in with the new, even though Serrano's not that new, but, you know, newer than Moranovich? Or why do you think the WB will do something like that to a fighter that has been part of their, quote-unquote, family for this long time? I mean, it, it just shows how much um, the WBC and Maurizio love Jelena. They really do. And I guess they're protecting her. Kind of makes me think um, that she didn't want to fight Amanda. And I, I, I mean, I guess they're just protecting Jelena. I guess they really like her and they want to do something for her. I just don't see why they don't want to push this fight to happen. It just makes me think that Jelena just doesn't want to fight. Um, and, and Marie, I mean, I don't know why the WBC gives these belts or why they do what they do. It just shows, like, I mean, it, it shows that the favoritism of the fighters, it shows the protecting of the fighters. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I know that Jelena, I mean, she's not really herself. This, I know, apart from the WBC, I mean, I mean, she can't really be herself with her trainer and in a vegetative I'm basically in a coma, right? Since suffering a heart attack. I mean, I think he passed away in a coma. I thought he had passed away. Did he pass away already? I think he might have passed Maybe. away because I think that she she put something on her social media yeah. today that it had been a year You're or something right. like that. Yeah, that's right. And she said, "See you soon." I mean, so I mean, and, and you know, she's been through a lot, and she's. She does own several of her own businesses, so she really doesn't need the money. Um, To me, that belt looks like it's one of those forever belts. Like, you get this because you've been such a big part of WBC. I guess that's the way I I see it. David, I I mean, I see what Lupe is saying, that maybe they're trying to protect Elena, but I don't think she's that – I mean, at least publicly, it doesn't seem like she's that happy about them awarding – Amanda Serrano the belt, like she said in that second in that second post, I wish the WBC awarded her a belt before I could fight her, perhaps down the road when she is done collecting empty titles. What does that mean? Well, I think what happened is that she was supposed to fight Amanda Serrano, but she might not have liked the terms. I know they could have forced her or stripped her, and instead they took the high road. The uh-huh. I'm talking about the WBC and yeah. allowed her to be emeritus instead of stripping her. They, sh- they could have stripped her because they were supposed to fight. And uh, apparently, but the rumor that I'm hearing is that she didn't like the terms. 
she wanted more money, but there was no money, not more money to be had. So she didn't want to fight. But, I mean, under the rules, I mean, you have a champion versus a, a number one and the champion, and you say, I don't want to fight her. I mean, it's supposed to go to purse bid. And she basically, they enabled her to keep her title, but they're giving Amanda the title because they, they could have stripped her. So she actually should thank the WBC for not stripping her. Okay. No, I see what you're saying, and that makes sense. Uh, we got a couple other um, uh, notes on our fight chatter, but with us now is our first guest, none other than veteran promoter and TV sports expert, Mr. Arnie Tokyo Rosenthal. Let me patch him in real quick. Mr. Rosenthal, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. That's, that, that introduction puts a lot of pressure on me. I don't know if I could live up to any of that. <laughs> I'm sure you can, sir. I, I'm sure you can. Thank you for being here with us on the two-minute round. Your hooks and jabs look at female boxing. Uh, my name is Felipe León. With us is Lupe Gutierrez. And as you know, Mr. David Avila. So I'm going to pass the baton to Mr. David Avila. David, go right ahead. So Tokyo Rosenthal, how did you get that name? Oh, well, le- legend has it that, uh, you know, I, I was born in Osaka, and uh, really? so everybody says, well, how come you're not named Osaka? And uh, that's because that's my sister's name. So, uh-huh. <laughs> and of course, none of this is true. Um, it just really came, it, it's a play on words from Tokyo Rose. You remember Tokyo Rose from World War II? And I was watching the Johnny Carson really? show one night, and, I, and when I was boxing amateur, I needed a nickname, and, and he had this character that he was uh, portraying on the Tonight Show, believe it or not, called Tokyo Rosenthal. And I heard that, and I thought it would, you know, I said, okay, that's my name, and I thought it would last about as long as my amateur boxing career lasted, which was about two weeks. And uh, that was that was it. It lasted for the rest of my life so far. Um, it's just the way it's been. People caught on to it, and uh, it's the name that I used when I commentated boxing, and it's the name I use as a, as a musician when I'm, you know, recording and touring. Yeah, for for our listeners out there, and Mr. Rosenthal has promoted all female cards from the early 2000s. Did you did you do any fights before the 2000s era? Well, we didn't do exclusively women before that era. We, we when oh, we okay. started a ring of their own, it was in 2005, and that was only women boxing, and we did that for two years. Uh, prior to that. We And the reason we got the idea to do the women's boxing is we were doing, you know, men's shows, um, mostly in Nevada. Uh, we, did, we did shows at the Stratosphere. We did the Silverton and um, uh, a couple of other places out, out in Laughlin. We were doing shows at the Flamingo in Laughlin. And we would always have one girls fight on the card. And, and the, the hotel operators always said to us, make sure you put at least one uh, woman's fight on because they loved the women's fight. They were they were you know just more inspiring. They were two minute rounds and they had a lot more action, and and they liked that. So after doing you know a couple of years of putting one woman's fight on the cards, me and my partner Kenny Weiss were sitting around one night and we said, gee, what are we going to do next year? And uh, we just came across. We said, you know, everybody wants us to have at least one woman's fight on. What if we did a card that was only women? And that would make a lot more sense because we don't want the women to just be a sideshow attraction. We want the women to to come on there and command their own thing. And, and we started talking about how Billie Jean King had done the same thing in tennis 
when she just did the Virginia Slims thing and they, they women got off the men's shows and did their own thing. So uh, we, we said, uh, you know, in those days and probably even still today, you just write a press release that says this is what you're going to do. And then the phone started ringing off the hook that uh, all the women fighters that couldn't get fights uh, were calling us saying, hey, put us on your show. And that's how it started. How did you get the experience to, to, to do uh, television shows? I, I know that most of your fights were televised or put in some kind of form of, of television media. Uh, this is predating social media, and, and you're actually putting them on television at first. How did you come about that, uh, come apart, come apart, uh, well, come about um, with that idea? Well, first off, I I don't know if any of you are old old enough to remember um, a sports network called Score, uh, which was sometimes referred to as FNN Score because Financial News Network owned it. And we were a um, a seven day a week uh, sports network, and I and I was president of the sports division, so I got to know a little bit about the TV business and and you know getting clearance and syndication. We even had a pay per view division, and we were doing some pay per view. So that just kind of like uh, taught me a little bit about the production side. So then when we were doing um, a ring of their own, I knew a lot of the program directors at the regional sports networks, uh, prime ticket in LA and Madison square garden network in New York and uh, the various sports channel networks back then. Uh, so I, called up those guys and I said, look, you know, we're, we got this idea and we're going to deliver you a show uh, every week, one hour show. And I need an hour time slot. And they thought it was a great idea. So they started airing it. It was, uh, uh, it was, it was a lot of fun getting it on there. We would record the shows uh, once a month and we would do like uh, tape, probably uh, three or four hours worth of fights. And then we edit it down to one hour shows with uh, commercial breaks and send them out to the regional sports networks. And we did that for two years. Who are some of the fighters that you remember having on, on those shows? Oh, um, let's see. Uh, Jelena Majinovich, Layla McCarter, Melissa Hernandez, Belinda Laraquente, Chevelle Hallback. All, all of the Hall of Famers that you know fought in that era all fought for us. Osa Sandel from Sweden, who fought Layla Ali. Uh, Layla was on one card. It wasn't in a ring of their own exclusive card, but we did a fight with her at the Stratosphere in Las Vegas. And uh, so, I mean, just about, you know, everybody, I guess, (laughs) at one time, you know, know, fought for us. I I actually think I went to that card. Uh, She fought, uh, who was it? Uh, Tough girl, the girl that beat Ann Wolfe. Um, yeah, right. Um, she had a mohawk haircut. What, what was her name? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's the only girl that beat Ann Wolf. <laughs> Knocked yeah, her out. Which, which was amazing, yeah, that she did that, yeah. Yeah, that was actually a pretty good show. Um, what, uh, what gave you the idea about doing pay-per-view? Well, I always thought, you know, we had done a bunch, a lot of uh, – early pay-per-view at FNN. Probably the biggest card we did was a thing called Furious Friday that had uh, Duran against somebody, Starling against somebody, and, and Mark Breland against somebody. And, um, and I realized uh, we did a pretty good buy rate on that show, not because they were just great fights, but, but because we had these um, 
the marketing of it. We had the, our network on FNN. We were able to on score. We were able to cross promote, and and that and then I realized that was exactly what the WWE was doing. Uh, McMahon was putting uh, you know his wrestlers on for on free basic cable all all month for, for maybe for 90 days leading up to the the pay-per-view show or leading up to WrestleMania. And he was able to cross promote like that. So I thought like, okay, maybe we could do the same thing. We're, we're, we're putting these shows out there once a month. We're not getting any sponsorship to speak of. Nobody cared about sponsoring these shows, but we thought like, okay, we'll promote every week um, in our show that we got a pay-per-view show coming up, um, you know, whenever it was the end of the month or something like that. And, uh, we could see what happens. Uh, it was a lot easier said than done. I'll tell you that much because the, uh, <laughs> pay-per-view, we were a little bit ahead of our time, not just, not the women's boxing part of it, but we, we actually streamed our first pay-per-view show in 2005. We were streaming on the internet. And that was uh, that was crazy. I'm sure you had a buffering problem in those days. That was a major problem in 2005. I mean buffers, buffering it. Yes, yes. It, it was. I was. I was. I agree with you. I was nervous about you know how that was going to play out and where it was it going to break up. Was it going to be clean? And 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 oddly enough, we had no technical problems. Well, it was it wasn't a hard hard thing at all. So. And tell us about your musical career. Uh, a lot of people don't know that Tokyo Rosenthal is also, he's a musician, and he has a, <laughs> a hit single, and he performs. Uh, you're still for performing, aren't you? Oh, sure. Well, up until the pandemic, I was performing. Everybody in boxing thinks I died because I just disappeared <laughs> about 16 <laughs> years ago. I got I got this uh, a very small, small, minor, minor hit record in uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And uh, and that's what I always wanted to be was, you know, I was I had been a musician since I was a kid. I started playing piano at six and. And then uh, was in bands from the time I was, I think I played my first gig when I was 13 and, and played in college. I don't know, which begs the question of how I ever graduated college because all I did was play music. <laughs> and uh, and so I just, uh, when that, when this happened, I just dropped everything else and said, I want to go back to playing music because that's always what I loved. And it was my first love. And, and that's what I've been doing ever, ever since because the, the the minor minor small small hit record led to a lot of touring and uh i i've got seven albums out and uh my mother's bought all of them and <laughs> i think she's got boxes full of them in her garage and you can find her at the flea market on sunday selling some too but uh but it just uh you know it, it's been fun and, and but it's been a crazy time for just like it's been crazy for boxers and it's been crazy for musicians ever since the pandemic hit and uh i mean i have a lot of uh, still have a lot of friends in boxing you know and i talk with them and i'm and i'm been involved in um i, I don't know if you remember i managed a, a fighter uh, one of my fighters named uh, jason papion he fought right. winky right for the title and um and Jason's son, it's, you know, you, I guess if you're old enough, shit happens like, oh, I, I don't know if I, oh, I got, I got to watch my language. We're on a podcast here. Um, stuff happens where uh, you get old enough that your fighter's sons are, are turned pro. And so Jason's son, Keon, just turned pro. He's 3-0. and But it's an interesting watching them try to get fights 
during the during the pandemic. It's just very tough out there right now. You know, as I'm sure right. you, you guys you guys talk to fighters all the time. You know what's going on. It's just uh, it's it's a tough scene, and it's you know, and it's been like that for music too. So I got sort of a double whammy. I'm helping Papillon, and and I'm trying to keep my career afloat at the same time, and uh, just waiting for these vaccines to. So how did you get involved in boxing? Uh, you told me about it, but I'd like the the listeners to know how you got involved in boxing. Oh, I came, I came from a fanatic boxing household. Every, I mean, my grandparents, uh, my, even my grandmother, boxing and wrestling. My grandmother took me to my first wrestling match at Sunnyside Garden in New York. Um, so I was born literally 10 minutes after Jersey Joe Walcott knocked out Ezra Charles for the heavyweight championship. And my two grandfathers and my father were in a bar next door to the hospital where my mother was going through labor with me and they were watching the fight and Walcott knocks out Charles in Pittsburgh, wins the title July 18th, 1951. And it turns out that, you know, Joe Walcott's real name was Arnie, Arnold Raymond Cream. And uh, and my real name is Arnie. That's not Tokyo, in case you're wondering. And um, so they, my family, in their divine wisdom, named me uh, after Jersey Joe Walcott, named me Arnie. If Ezra Charles had won that night, I'd probably be Ezra Rosenfall, but instead I'm Arnie <laughs> Rosenfall. And I and I and I one of my greatest moments was I got to meet Joe Walcott and tell him the story. Uh, and it was a- after the. Um, Michael Spinks, the first Michael Spinks, Larry Holmes fight. He was there, and uh, I got to tell him about that. And he, he died shortly after that. So that's so. And then I did uh, like like uh, like any good kid, you know. My 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 boxing uh, family uh, taught me how to box, so I boxed amateur in in uh, my twenties, which is when I got the Tokyo Rosenthal name. And uh, and then uh, when I got the job at the FNN Score. It was, this was like going to fantasy camp for me. I got to, you know, just buy sporting events. And of course I gravitated to uh, boxing and, um, and that's when I started doing pay-per-view and then uh, the rest, you know, you know, doing the women's boxing later on. Uh, Mr. Rosenthal, I'm going to pass you on to Lupe Gutierrez. She's from the San Francisco Bay area and she knows boxing like anybody's business. Lupe. (laughs) Thanks, David. Hi, Tokyo. How hey, are you? Hey, Loopy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. So you say you're the poster child for second and third careers? <laughs> say that one more time. I said, so you called yourself the poster child for second and third careers. Um, but it sounds like <laughs> with music, it's more than that, right? Well, maybe more than second or third careers. Um yeah, where did, where did you hear? I know I say that sometimes, but I, where did you hear that? You did. <laughs> um, I, 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 I was. Uh, I heard one of your your interviews, listening to something, uh, and I thought that was pretty okay. funny. Yeah, because I, I think. Stuff, right? Yeah, I I do I do feel that way that you know I've been you know as a, I'm kind of the poster child for baby boomers reinvention. Is you I I don't and I've said this to my own kids. I have two daughters, and I said don't. Don't ever feel like whatever you start out doing, you know, in your teens, your 20s, that that's what you got to do for the rest of your life. You know, if you have an opportunity or you have an idea, do it. You know, you shouldn't have any fear of failure because the only failure is if you don't do it. 
you know, if you if you do it and it's not successful, uh, you know, uh, that's don't measure that even in dollars. Just measure it in whether you had fun doing it, and and it, and it was uh, and it and it worked out good. And, and so for me, you know, I just uh, I, I I probably you know some people might look at it and say, why don't you just focus on one thing and you're going to be great at one thing, but then you miss all these other things. I got the opportunity to do a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have done if I didn't take a chance. You know, I kind of, you know, I walked into um, commentating boxing, which was, uh, which I love to do. I I commentated for 20 years. Um, And and you, you know, I kind of walked in the back door to do that. I wasn't trained to do it. And I certainly wasn't some sort of uh, TV personality that was given the job or ex-athlete. But uh, one, all of a sudden, though, I found myself commentating the, the Michael Mora George Foreman fight, <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, "How did I get here?" So it was, uh, so it's, so it's just kind of fun. It is. It's attitude. It's totally attitude. You know, I was going to ask you um, when you were in the thick of it what your dream card was, but you were just you mentioned a David. I mean, you had Layla, Melissa Hernandez, Jelena. So you were already working with with the fighters back then. So, well, yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I was, I managed fighters. The, um, what happened was I, when I was running the, the score network, um, one of our attorneys um, approached me about being, if I wanted to help him out managing a fighter named Anthony Hembrick. Um, you're, you're probably too young to remember Anthony, but he was the captain of the 88 Olympic team, U.S. Olympic team, but he's the guy who was more famous for missing the bus in South Korea uh, that was supposed to take him for to his fight. They missed the bus, and uh, so next thing he knew, he was uh, disqualified, never got the fight, um, but he was turning pro. So um, his um, this lawyer came to me and said, would I help him out with, with Hembrick? You know, because I knew all the TV network people and the promoters and whatever, and I said, sure. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And and next thing I knew, I had ten fighters. <laughs> they were I had managing ten different guys, and over the years, I probably managed maybe uh, fifty guys. Uh, had six world champions, and and but had a lot of fun. Fighters are great people, you know, and any anybody who's been around them knows that that uh, yeah. it's a blessing to be able to go out there and. Uh, and, and and have these relationships and manage people over their careers and then wind up managing or helping out their sons and daughters and, and whatever. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't at that point though. I can't say I was managing any women boxers other than making sure that we had them on our cards and then segueing into promoting them when we got to um, a ring of their own. Yeah. You know, okay. So then I'd like to get your thoughts on this. Okay, so top rank has Michaela Mayer. Golden Boy has four or five on the roster, including Sunisa Estrada, Marlon Esparza, Franchon Cruz. And Eddie Hearn has quite a few that he, he routinely matches. So the fights are being made, and more so in the U.K. than the States. So there's a manager, and he's uh, Brian Cohen out of Philly, who has 18 female pro boxers, you know, on the spectrum, on the experience spectrum. So I, I know Brian Cohen. I know, I, I know who Brian is, yeah. Okay, so Tokyo, why do you think we aren't seeing any of these fights? I mean, why, why aren't the majority of U.S. cards featuring, like you said, one or two female bouts per card? It's, well, see, it, that's, a, that's a, 
a long answer, which I'm happy to try to abbreviate a little bit for you. Um, I, first of all, my, my feeling about it is, is that I was, I was a little bit disappointed when um, a ring of their own basically ran out of money. That's what happened after two years. And it was uh, around the same timing where I got back into music. So we, we kind of walked away from it. And I was very surprised and disappointed and maybe disappointed in myself, too, that nobody picked up the ball and ran with it. Here was, here was two years of this, of this all-women's series sitting there, had TV distribution in place. Nobody would have known would have, would have known any different if all of a sudden you know you were promoting it and and the tapes showed up and you and you ran the tapes. Um, it just nobody ran with the ball, and they tended to start to make the same mistake, in, in my opinion, that that Christy Martin made, and that uh, Layla Ali made, and that was that they didn't build anything off of off of their names it, that was exclusively for women. Uh, and, I, and I always felt that, like I said before, the women's boxing shouldn't be the sideshow. It's got to be its own show. And that's why we called the series a ring of their own when we did it. And I think that's what's happening now is, is nobody has picked up the ball and everybody's look, still looking at it in terms of, gee, we'll put one woman's fight on. Maybe we'll put two on, and they feel like they're heroes for putting two on. The fact is, there should be a weekly series every week of women's boxing to build up the names, very much the way UFC does things, and again, the way the WWE does it, is get these people on, build their names, let the public see a lot of this, lead it into a pay-per-view show, don't expect to make a ridiculous amount of money initially on the pay-per-view, and that's the way it has to be done. Uh, so you could have, you know, all the fighters in the world, you could sign everybody. And, and but if you don't have a place to put them, if, what's what good is it? So you have to, I think, yeah. what, I, I think that's what you're saying is like, you know, Brian's got all these fighters that he signed and uh, but you don't see them on TV. Nobody knows their names. They have to sell tickets because you can't get into that thing where it's like, gee, aren't, aren't shouldn't women get paid as much as men get paid? Well, this isn't school teaching. This is boxing, and, and it's and it's uh, and it's and it's promoting. You have to, you have to be able to bring your side of the bargain to the table, and and that's got to be selling tickets. And I don't mean that selling tickets in lieu of getting paid. I don't mean where somebody says, "Well, here's your pay. I'm going to give you a hundred tickets yeah. to sell and give me." But I'm talking about you should be just be able to draw a crowd in, and in order to draw a crowd in, you got to use television. Um, and when I say TV. Today, you know, you could be streaming also. It doesn't matter how, how you get to your person, as long how you get to your public, as long as you get to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Tokyo, is there any boxing fire left in your belly? Is there one more thing? Is there one fighter that would pull you back <laughs> one more time? Well, or did you never leave? I've got to be honest with you. When, when, when I started working with Papillon's son, I felt like that scene in The Godfather where, where where Pacino goes, every time I think I'm out, they drag me back in. It was like, I went like, gee, I remember how this is and what a good feeling it is when somebody you're involved with wins their fight. He fought this past Saturday night down in Alabama. 
and it was and I could I didn't go because of, of the pandemic, but they went down there and I but they streamed it on TV, mm-hmm. and uh, he threw the best left hook I've ever seen since maybe watching a film of Ray Robinson knocking out Gene Fulmer. It was the greatest left hook, totally demolished this kid. And, and I was just like, Oh wow. <laughs> you know, and I couldn't wait. I, I just called up everybody that I still knew in boxing. I said, Oh, I got to send you this tape, man. You got to see what Papillon's kid just did. His father never punched like that. <laughs> He's like, and I was like, and, and so my wife hears me talking and she says, you're going to get back into this, aren't you? And I said, well, I don't know. I said, it's, it's feeling pretty good right now. Like, uh, like there's something that's dragging me to do it. So it's, it's, you know, but I, if I do it though, I don't want to do it half ass. I want, I want to, I want to yeah. be in it full time. And so I would have to, the same way I dropped everything else to go into music, I would drop everything in, um, in music uh, to go into boxing again full time and, and give it the attention that it deserves. So I don't, I, if I do it, I want to do it right. I don't, I can't tell you right now that I'm going to do it, but I, but I'm certainly, you know, and I think you felt it, you know, that's why you asked me the question that I'm thinking yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause and if I, by the way, right. Papillon's son, Papillon's son aside, my favorite time in, in boxing and in all the years I did it, whether it was fighting amateur managing fighters, whatever. My favorite time was women boxers and a ring of their own. And if I got back into boxing, I would probably want to get back in on the women's side and pick up where we left off with a ring of their own. Oh, that, you know what, that would be, that would be great. You have a lot of highlights in boxing. And so what was your musical highlight in your career so far? Well, okay. Well, growing up and Growing up, meaning in my teen years and maybe college years, um, my favorite group was a group called the Birds, and you may not know them, um, B-Y-R-D-S, but you would know the songs Mr. Tambourine Man and Turn, Turn, Turn. Uh, They were what we called, we called it folk rock back in those days. Now they call it Americana. And um, I got a call to one of the members of the Birds is a guy named Chris Hillman. And he he still tours and uh, plays with a variety of different people. He was the bass player in the Birds, and I got a call to open up for him uh, for two nights in Toronto. This was back in I don't know 2007 maybe, and that was like an amazing night. Uh, I, it's it's I don't even know what to compare it to uh, in, in 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 terms of uh, boxing other than you got to fight, you know, in boxing, you fight for the title. For me, I get to open for Chris Hillman. You know, that was a, that, that was a big deal for me to to be able to do that. That is so great. Well, I hope you hit um, your next, uh, your next career Uh, back to boxing. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm getting, I'm I'm getting pretty old, you know, so I don't know how how much more time I have to introduce any new careers, but, uh, (laughs) but I, but I, but I'm glad you have the faith in me to think I could do it. <laughs> I do. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, no, it was my pleasure. Felipe? Mr. Rosenthal, thank you for being with All us. All right, now, David. Well, we're not done mm-hmm. yet. I've got yep. a couple of questions for you. i got a couple of questions for you, Mr. Rosenthal. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
You mentioned that when you were working on the pay-per-view side or actually on the uh, when you were producing the fights um, with that network that they had asked you to put on a female fight on every card because they saw, you know, how hard w- women fought inside the ring. And after that, there was a little bit of a drought in female boxing as far as TV was concerned. And then we didn't see the resurgence of it until about 2015 when Amanda Serrano fought uh, Jasmine Rivas on Showtime Extreme in that year. Why do you think there was that drought where we go from the, the network asking for at least one female fight per card to having that drought and not seeing females fight on TV in a significant fashion until 2015? Yeah, well, there's a couple of reasons, in my opinion. Is One, there, there was no commitment from from the promoters so the ones that would put like you know that were originally putting one fight on they weren't they weren't following it up with anything there was no you know when i went to work for for that network for score um i I worked for a really wonderful guy just passed away recently named earl brian and he taught me how to make a plan he would always say rosenthal you got to make a plan And, and 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 nobody was making a plan we had a plan for a ring of their own uh, we just ran out of money, <laughs> but that, but we thought we had enough. Um, but what happened was people, the fighter, you know, the promoters would put on one, one fight and it was like, okay, what, there was no plan about what are we going to do with women's boxing and, and time would go past and, and that would be one of the problems. Another problem was I felt that they wanted to make money. It, it was immediate gratification. Uh, there was a great, what could have been a great pay-per-view card with um, uh, Holly Holm against, um, oh, who, what was the guy who, uh, Sanders, Mary Jo Sanders, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So, so they did that fight, and they made it a pay-per-view fight, and they didn't have any way to cross-promote it. You could, you know, we always used to say when it came to pay-per-view that if everybody who you thought would want to buy the fight knew about the fight, then you did your job marketing-wise. If you still didn't get a big buy rate, it means you were wrong about the event. But at the very least, you got to make sure that everybody who would want to buy it uh, knows about it, sees the video reel that you're running in the commercials, understands why they, you know, why this is a great fight and kind of drag them in. Well, they didn't do that. They didn't have the, the know-how and they didn't have the, the, you know, the weekly show to cross promote with. So the fight, even though it was a great fight and it was the, probably at that time, the two, two of the best fighters in the world fighting each other, uh, it never, it never amounted to anything um, as a pay-per-view show. If that fight had been put on basic cable, as an ESPN main event, uh, it would have done wonders for women's boxing, but it didn't. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, some of the fighters that were participated on some of the cards that you you made back then, Jelena Muranovic, Leila MacArthur, Melissa Hernandez. Are you surprised that those three fighters are still actually fighting now? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, it, it is quite the thing. And you sit there and say, okay, why, why, why did the women boxers, you know, 
last longer. And, and again, this is one of these things where it's speculation and, and, and a lot of different answers. Um, part of it is, is that they have shorter amateur careers. And so they didn't, they didn't get beat up in the gym maybe as much as, as men, as men do or did, um, you know, that, that's part of it. Uh, I think also a, a big part of it is, is the, their fights when they do have the professional fights, they're, they're shorter. It's not to say that they don't wind up in some wars, but they're two minute rounds and uh, it's in a world title fight. It's 10 rounds um, instead of 12. So I, I think that they're just, you know, they don't get quite as worn out. Uh, they fight a whole lot less. They fight for world titles, you know, which, which leads to a question about the credibility of the belts, but that's a whole other argument. But, but they, they, they fight for titles much earlier on. Um, I mean, I mean, Janine Garside, arguably one of the best fighters we ever promoted at, at a ring of their own great fighter out of Canada. Um, uh, Janine, you know, fought for the world title when she was like five Oh and one. And I was fighting Lisa Brown, who was another world-class fighter. So um, they, a lot of them get in early and, and, and get out early. And also because the money isn't big enough, they they tend to hang around a little bit longer um, to see if they can make a few bucks and, and, uh, and see if they can, you know, just get a little bit more economic success out of it. So, and that's, you know, I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg. I mean, women's boxing could be and, and should be great. And I don't, and I don't mean that in terms of, of, of the, of the fighters not being great. I'm talking about from a business point of view. Um, and it's just, uh, it's, it's sometimes can't get out of its own way. Cause I hmm. think what's going to happen. I, I, I like the fact that, um, that Clarissa, you know, came out of the Olympics and, and I'll remember the Olympics weren't around back in when we did a ring in their own women boxing wasn't in the Olympics, but Clarissa, you know, is doing her thing and, and making, you know, kind of, you know, sick money. And, uh, but at the same time, they're not building a, a series around her. They're putting all women on this pay-per-view card coming up, which is a nice start but you got to have a weekly show on with five or six fights, you know, no different than you have top ranked boxing on, on ESPN right now. Uh, and it's uh, whether that'll happen or not remains to be seen because somebody has to step up and write a check. There's the, that's the one part that's always the, the hardest part of this equation to get women's boxing where it should be is somebody has to write the check. Now, my, my next question, I think you just answered it, which was, do you follow female boxing now, but you obviously do. You know about Clarissa Shields. You know about the pay-per-view fight that's happening in the early March. So for you now, who, what female fighter is must-watch TV for you now? Oh, I, I, a couple of them. I mean, I, 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 I like to watch Clarissa if only to see if – because I'm not – I like to see if she's as good as she thinks she is. Hmm. And, and I'd like to see somebody – give you know test her a little bit more i like katie taylor um i still like i mean i just hope she gets another decent fight before she gets too old i love layla mccarter was one hell of a fighter mm -hmm. um exactly. i saw uh jelena Majenovic was uh is is a fantastic fighter that 
you know, only fought, I think, in this country one time, and that was just a couple of weeks ago. But she's no youngster. I love her. I, I know her well. And But I think, you know, she definitely in the last fight didn't look as good as she looked in the old days. But, uh, you know, we'll see. You know, I think it needs to be the fact that, that a lot of these fighters that you're mentioning, you know, were fighting back on a ring in their own and it's 15 years later and they're still fighting, mm-hmm. uh, tells you a lot about the state of, of the women's boxing that, that they need to develop more new names. Uh, and, uh, and, and by the way, men's boxing has a lot of that same problem. If you have Mike, they're talking now about the Tyson Holyfield three for, yeah. you know, they can call it an exhibition or whatever they want to call it, but that's going to outdraw almost probably any fight that's going to take place on pay-per-view this year. If it happens. You're right. And I was talking to, to, about this to a friend of mine is, you know, we had that Mike Tyson, uh, Roy Jones, which sold over a million pay-per-views. And now it just was reported earlier this week that, Oscar de la Hoya got a federal ID now, and obviously he still has to get a boxing license. But if he gets a boxing license, he's going to outsell all these guys, no matter who he fights. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, I managed, I managed Bobby Chez, and I could tell you right now that if, I, if we went up to New Jersey and did Bobby Chez and, and Tom, Tommy Hearns, <laughs> that, that it would be, you know, probably, again, the fight of the year. So who's to say that this isn't, you know, that that should be allowed or not allowed? That's that's a different debate. But in terms of popularity and name recognition, it, it's uh, these people are, 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 you know, more well known than, than anybody that's out there today. And, and I don't mind patting ourselves on the back a little bit to say that the reason that some of these uh, be it Melissa Hernandez, uh, McCarter, Majinovich, they all fought on on our shows that we're on week after week after week, you know, that we were on for, uh, that's 52 weeks. That's a uh, 104 shows over two years. So there's a little bit of recognition in there that uh, I would assume or hope. Yeah. Now my last question to you, Mr. Rosenthal, before we let you go, I know you're in the East coast it's a little late out there. Um, you know, you said that you're kind of talking you know, towing the water of maybe coming back to boxing. I don't know if your wife is going to put you in the doghouse if you do, but, uh, <laughs> you know, if you did come back and you said that you would be interested in female boxing, in what capacity do you think that you could make a bigger difference? You know, as a manager, as an actual promoter, what capacity do you think that you could help female boxing in its current state? I think in terms of planning, what I said before is a lot of people go out there and they do it show by show, like what we call one-offs, you know, and just they do it and, and they don't really know what it's leading up to and, and what the long-term plan is. And I think I, you know, I could promote, I've obviously I've done it my whole life, but, but, but other people can do that as well. And just as good, if not better than me and, and people can, produce for television and, and, and do that. But I think what, what really needs is somebody steering the boat. And I don't think the boat's being steered right now for women's boxing. I think it's kind of like, okay, let's do this fight. And then, uh, uh, but we're not, we're not building up enough names. And, uh, and I think that that's something that, you know, would be more up uh, my alley 
where I think I can help it is kind of say, okay, here's what needs to get done. And, uh, and to have people not make the same mistakes, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, kind of bragging a bit on a ring of their own, but there was plenty of mistakes we made along the way too. Uh, so, you know, I think it would be good for me to tell people, you know, don't do this. And, and uh, that was a big mistake and don't basically don't run out of money like we did. <laughs> Okay, Mr. Rosenthal, we want to thank you for being here with us and sharing uh, your experiences, and we wish you all the luck, and hopefully you can get back there and uh, and do some shows and, and do your music. So with that said, we thank you from everybody here. All right, I'll, around. I'll, see, I'll see you all on Facebook. Bye. All right, okay, so good. One, sir. <laughs> all right, take care now. Thank Bye. you, too. And there you have it, folks, veteran promoter and TV sports expert, Mr. Arnie Tokyo Rosenthal, giving us his thoughts on the current state of female boxing and obviously as well as his accomplishments in the sport. So uh, as we just had our first guest, we're going to wait for our second guest, who is heavyweight contender Daniel Perkins, who's going to be fighting for the interim WBC heavyweight title on March 5th on that. Uh, historic all-female pay-per-view card coming up on March 5th from Flint, Michigan. $29.95. You haven't purchased it yet. I believe the, the they started selling already. But before we get the call from Ms. Perkins, we're going to uh, talk about another world champion who is taking, who is taking her case uh, to social media as well as Jelena uh, Maranovic, what we spoke about before Mr. Rosenthal called in. That World champion is current WBO super featherweight champion Michaela Mayer, who yesterday posted on her Twitter account regarding a potential unification fight against IBF champion Maiva Hamadouche, and I quote, well, 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 looks like Maiva Hamadouche can't accept the fight offer because she has Olympic qualifiers in all capital. This is why I said pick a side also in all caps. If you choose Olympics, all caps, vacate your belt. 2021 is the year for the junior lightweight division. Nobody has time to wait for you. Hamadouche actually responded on the post and said, you must, and obviously this, she translated because she's French and she writes in French, but she stated, you must pray all night for I choose the Olympics to get another belt fighting nobody as you always done, but be sure I will be there for you. So as we all know, Quite possibly the hottest division in female boxing is the junior lightweight or super featherweight title, however you want to call it. I mean, the division, 130 pounds, where we have the WBO champion, Michaela Mayer. We have the IBF champion, Maiva Hamadouche. We have the WBA champion, Huge Mi Choi. I think that's her name. Uh, That's how you pronounce it. And then the WBC champion, Terry Harper. Now, last year... Mr. Eddie Hearn of Matchroom Boxing made a big uh, push in the in the W in the 130-pound division by signing. Uh, he already had Terry Harper, but he went out and signed uh, Michoy and he signed Maiva Hamadouche. Both of those women have fought on the zone already um, late last year, and Terry Harper, the sole uh, champion in the division, that's not with Eddie Hearn. She's with Top Rank. But she's very open, and she stated it publicly numerous times on this show and outside this show, as well as her uh, manager, George Reese, that she is more than willing and able to to unify that division. And that's what I believe 
they're looking to do. According to a couple more posts on that thread, um, the fight that the, the date that they're offering Hamadus to face uh, Mikhail Amir is in June, but there's also Olympic qualifiers also in June. And as we all know, Hamadus has, you know, accepted her country's offer to join their Olympic team to try to get to the Olympics, you know, and, and, and fight for the gold, you know, as well as other uh, professional fighters like Christina Hammer has done the same for Germany. Um, Jessica Tutti Bob and Erika Farias for Argentina have done the same. Lupi, you kind of following this story a little bit better than I, as at least. I don't know if David, what other professional fighters from other countries have you heard that they've actually gone in and tried to get to the Olympics? Well, um, like you said, Tutti Bob, um, uh, Pantera, Farias, I mean, Maiva, I mean, I- I'm with Michaela. Take us out. You know, it's. I think it's kind of ridiculous. And personally, I don't think Hamadouche stands a chance against Michaela. And like you said, I mean, Christina Hamper, she also made the announcement. She was retiring pro. And then she headed, you know, she just won. I, I, I guess she was at a qualifiers, and she beat the number one in Germany. And she wow. shared it like she was so happy and so excited. It's like, it's what a joke. To me, personally, it's a joke. I mean, why would you? I mean, how many time world champion is she? And she just beat the amateur, the top amateur, and she's so excited about it. Yeah. Well, before we go in that direction, as far as, you know, um, our opinion about pros in the Olympics, which we have shared on this show numerous times, and obviously none of us agree that it's something good for the sport. David, you know, what happens here? I mean, how does the, can the IBF do something? Can they make her. Um, vacate the belt? Is this a good enough reason for her to say no to this fight? I would imagine um, well, I mean technically she has nine months since her last fight to defend the belt and she defended I think in December if it wasn't late November December. So she probably has until about September or August to defend the belt you know, but I don't know. I mean, obviously we know your thoughts about pros in the in the Olympics, but more onto this June date and and the fact that she she may or may not take the fight against Mayer because of the Olympics. What can be done there, in your opinion, as far as professional boxing and the sanctioning body or Eddie Hearn maybe getting in her ear and saying, "Hey, you know, I mean, what are you doing here? Are you going to be a an amateur? Are you going to be a professional? What, what do you think is your opinion that could be done to maybe force her to fight?" Well, you know, that's a it's a good question. It's the reason that boxing as a whole, professional boxing, needs a commissioner, at least in the United States, somebody that can say, you don't do this, you don't do that. It's it's We need somebody that kind of regulates uh, professional boxing because this kind of stuff is dangerous, and any sane person would say, don't go to the amateurs. They're youngsters. They're they're not developed yet. You're a professionally trained fighter. You're supposed to win. You're supposed to be able to hurt this other this younger fighter. And I mean, that's what they're doing. It, you don't. I don't know if any sanctioning organization can do that. I mean, they can't 
like I think in the case of the WBC, they did say something yes. about their uh, champions. They banned. Which is, hey, hey, yeah, and I was going to bring that up, David, just to give you the, the details of it. And, and, and you know, we, we, we don't know, we don't fail to criticize the WBC on this show when they do the wrong thing. But when they do the right, right. thing, and I think this might be the right thing, we give them praise. Yes. You know, we're, 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 yes. we're fair. And, and what, did, uh, what was that? Oh, man. Joe Cortez, fair but firm. That's what we are here in the two-minute round, just like Joe Cortez, the referee from Vegas. But the WBC did um, ban professionals to compete at Tokyo 2020 for two years. So technically, they haven't competed at Tokyo 2020 because we don't even know at this point if there is going right. to be a Tokyo 2020. But if there's any fighter, according to the WBC, that fights at Tokyo 2020 who are professional – they're going to be banned from the WBC ranking. So if that would be the case, and Hamadou decides to go on with her Olympic dream, and she ends up fighting at the Olympics, even if she were to fight Terry Harper for the WBC title and unify, the WBC might not recognize her as a valid opponent now. Fair but firm, would the WBC go back on this ban if Eddie Hearn asked them to, and it turned out to be a unification fight for all the marbles at 1:30? If Hamadouche beat um, Mayer and and Me Choi beat, well, actually Terry Harper would beat Me Choi. Would they go back on the ban? I wouldn't be surprised if they did, David. Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I know that. Uh, yeah, if I was. To- in charge of one of the sanctioning organizations, I do what the WBC said, uh, ban them. Yeah. Just say yeah. you're not and, a champion. Yeah, I ban them, and you don't give them the chance to, um, you don't give them the chance to, uh, to, to, to challenge or to fight for a world title, which, in a sense, obviously changes the reason of why they're boxing, because we would, we would want to believe that every boxer that laces up a pair of gloves and trans professional, their dream is to fight for a world title, not necessarily WBC, but one of the world titles. And that would change because they wouldn't even have the opportunity to fight for the WBC title. And second, it might hit, hit them in the pocketbook as well because, you know, when you are a champion, is the opportunity to make the most money you're going to make in your career. So that's why you're going to get the most attention in a fight on TV. So that's why a lot of fighters, you know, you know, they fight for world titles and they look to fight for world titles and they, and they strive to fight for world titles because that's when you're going to make the most money and get the most attention in your professional boxing career. Now, moving on to more of the of why professionals should not be fighting in the amateurs and Olympics. Lupi, you know, you and your sister with the Beautiful Brothers organization up there in Northern California are entrenched with USA Boxing. What is USA Boxing's official stand on on this type of of uh, of professional fighting Olympics, and I don't know this, and that's what I'm asking because I just thought of it. Do they have some kind of policy that if if let's say a USA boxer were to have to face a professional fighter in a qualifier or a Pan American game or a world cha- title change, are they going to allow them to fight and possibly get hurt, or are they going to, or do they have a policy of withdrawing the fighter? What what what's USA Boxing stand on this? Well, if you just look what happened last October with um, Team USC's Rashida Ellis, and she's highly decorated, and she's on the Olympic team, and they let her fight Maeva Hamadouche, and Maeva with what 22 pro fights, and she's a world champion. She won unanimously. 
Mm-hmm. So it already happened. Now, and I know that in the men's – quick question. I know that in the men's side, I think that if you get to the elite level, they change the rules and you don't fight with headgear anymore. Is that going on with the females as well? Um, You know what? Gosh, did she fight without – no, I – you know what? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking they did fight with the headgear. Not exactly sure for the women, but I know um, who is the amateur – was it Javi? Oh, gosh, I'm drawing a blanket. He – he fought last year the Russian pro, and he got knocked out. Yeah, I know that in the male side, they are fighting. Like, if you get to the elite level, and you're, like, over 18 or something like that, um, you don't I mean, fight with big gear. That was the time, like, in the – right in the – you know, previously, that was the – you know, like, Muhammad Ali, the amateur, he fought without – in the 60s – well, right. yeah, in the early 60s, they fought without headgear. Exactly. David, back then, I don't know, in the, in the 70s as well, too, like Sugar Ray Leonard and – Leon Spinks, who may rest in peace, they fought without with with without headgear as well, right? I believe. I think in so. The 70s? Yeah, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think maybe in the '80s is when they started implementing the headgear. Now they have gone back to. I don't see. I mean, I understand why fighters rather not use headgear. You know, they can see better. They can see the punches coming in better. You know, but I think it's still as an amateur, it's kind of. It's kind of dangerous. Now, we have a little bit of time before we have our second guest of the night, Daniel Perkins, the heavyweight contender, who is going to be fighting on March 5th on the Super Women card from Flint, Michigan, pay-per-view. Calls in. We've got about five minutes. So um, I wanted to touch on another subject that all social media is that yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, but earlier this week, you know, it's not a, it's not a news when Clarissa Shields gets into a Twitter beef, but it was kind of interesting who she got into the Twitter beef now, which was Rick Ramos, who is the manager slash trainer of Jessica McCaskill, the undisputed welterweight champion, you know, and it looked like, you know, they're going back and forth on Twitter. I'm sure you can find it on on their accounts. If you go in there and look (laughs) for it, Um, they're going back and forth. And basically Rick Ramos was saying that if you go down to welterweight, you know, we're more than happy to fight you. And, you know, if you really think about it, according to him and his opinion, that there was no other viable fighter where she could make the most money than Jessica McCaskill. David, do you think that is uh, a fair assessment uh, of, of Rick Ramos? If she, Jessica McCaskill were to beat Cecilia Breakhouse for a second time, does that is that a bigger fight for, for uh, Clarissa at welterweight than, say, you know, a rematch with uh, Hannah Gabriels to unify. Well, actually, it wouldn't be unified because they are giving us the vacant super WBA title, which I believe is a mistake, and we talked about it before on the show. So technically, by her winning, by her beating Mary Eve DeCarrie on March 5th, she turns out to, she she does that, she will be the undisputed 154-pound um, champion. But, you know, those in the know know that, Anna Gabriels deserves a shot at it because she was the WBA champion. She's the regular WBA champion. She should have been elevated to super champion, but the WBA being the WBA are giving Clarissa uh, an opportunity for the vacant. But do you think that's the most money that she can make if McCaskill beats Cecilia Breakhouse and Shields drops to um, 147? Uh, You know what? I think so. I think if uh, Jessica McCaskill beats Cecilia again, yeah, I think it would be. And if Cecilia beats 
the Cavs gold, and that's another big fight. So either one, whoever wins, that's a big fight for Clarissa if she wants to take it. I don't know if she she can make 147 because that's a big drop. She said she can. She stated on that Twitter wow. on Twitter beast that she could. But wow. yeah, and you know what, ahead, that, you, Dave, you're right. That is the big fight. But also on Twitter, Rick said, "Well, I have three at 147. Three girls at 147." Yeah, but so, but yeah, but, but Clarissa fight, said, but the other girls wouldn't. Yeah, but Clarissa Clarissa shut down. And she's like, "Why would I fight any one of your other fighters? I mean, if I'm going to fight one of your fighters, going to be the big dog, which exactly. is Jessica McCaskill. Mm-hmm. So like him yeah. bringing up the other two fighters that he has is of no consequence. Um, but let me ask you yeah. this, Lupe. You know, if Clarissa you know, Shields goes down to 147, and there's another fighter out there who has stated that she has fought at 140 and she has stated that she's willing to go up to a little bit more than 140 for a fight. I don't know if she'd be willing to go all the way up to 147, but if she were, it's a bigger fight in my eyes than Jessica McCaskill. And that's Katie Taylor. What is your thoughts? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What that would be way. Yeah. Because Taylor can box. She can really fight. That would be just a beautiful fight. I mean, yeah, if it happens. I mean, I don't think that it happened, but that would be a beautiful match. You know, we all know Jessica's a little wild. So now, if you want to see real bucks, I mean, it would be Taylor. But, David, I don't, I don't see Taylor. I mean, I see Taylor maybe going up to that yeah. 144, 145. We might be two pounds away. And those are, those are the yeah. biggest 32 ounces that we would find in female boxing. That, 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 that difference, those two pounds might be – what would stop us from seeing this a mega fight between between uh, Katie Taylor and and uh, Clarissa Shields, David? Yeah, yeah, I think Katie's uh, just too small. Yeah, I think she's too small. Uh, but I mean, it would be great if she was bigger <laughs> because she has yeah. the skills and, and she has the will. But it's just she's she's too small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. I mean, I mean, at one forty, she didn't look all that much bigger, and, and you know, at one forty-five, I think that'd be stretching it. And then the the bounce, you know, that the 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 weight gain that Clarissa would have from one forty-seven weighing in to mm-hmm. to the next night, she yeah. might be close to one sixty. Whereas, yeah. I don't think Taylor would go up anything, and that would be a big big match mm-hmm. as far as physically. And that might be the same oh, yeah. thing with Jessica McCaskill because Jessica McCaskill is 140. I mean, she's really not a welterweight. And if you allow Clarissa Shields to drain herself to 147, but then have her rehydrate for the next night, she's going to be hitting close to 160, and that's going to be a big, big difference. But you know, we'll see. We'll see I, what happens. I think the, the other thing too is the styles. See, Katie uh, it depends on her quickness and agility, whereas Jessica doesn't. Jessica's uh, Jessica an inside forward. fighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's an inside fighter, that, so that makes a big yeah. difference. And Shields, and Shields, I think she has the pedigree, she has the skill, and she has the talent to be able to take care of that, something like that. But obviously, we would have to see the fight. But a lot of things need to happen. You know, Clarissa Shields needs to win on March fifth. She needs to go over to the MMA like Mark Taffet uh, gave us the insight that she would uh, following this fight. You know, uh, Jessica McCaskill needs to beat Cecilia Breakhouse, and then. Clarissa Shields needs to be willing to drop to 147. There's a lot of factors that need to happen there for this fight to happen. So it's not a given that if if Shields wins on March 5th and McCaskill wins against Breakhouse, that the fight's going to happen. I mean, there's a lot of factors that, that need to that need to be worked out. But 
one thing that doesn't need to be worked out is the fight for our next guest. That is signed, sealed, and delivered as far as everybody. There's no weight to be made. They're both heavyweights. So as far as every, nobody gets COVID or gets hurt, we should be seeing this fight on March 5th. So now with us is heavyweight contender, Miss Danielle Perkins. Danielle, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for being with us here on the two-minute round. I want to pass you over to Mr. David Avila. David, go right ahead. Hi, Danielle. Uh, how's it going? In, uh, are you in Houston right now? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Houston. We, we just got electricity uh, this morning. Oh, good, good. That was my next question. So, so you have heat at least. Yeah, we have heat, uh, no water, but, you know, you, you make do. Wow. Did you ever believe that that could happen in Texas? I'm from New York City. I didn't think it it could happen in any any major city. Oh, that that's right. You're from New York, so but most Texans can't believe that they had all this snow and and they not they're not they're not used to it. They're not accustomed to having a to have blizzard after blizzard coming by. Uh, I'm sure you are, but but they're they're not regular Texans there. But so so tell me when they told you that you're going to fight in this pay-per-view, uh, how did you feel about that, knowing that you're going to be part of this card? I'm very excited. It's an all-female uh, pay-per-view card. Um, Clarissa Shields uh, is, is, of course, the main event. Um, I've always wanted to meet Clarissa. Um, we've always crossed paths, um, but never actually got a chance to actually sit down and talk. Like every time she was in Team USA for like a camp, I was at home, um, and every time she was up for an event, I was away fighting. So I'm actually really excited to actually see her fight in person and also, of, of course, being a part of the card. And you're, you're fighting somebody that you fought before. Um, yes. What do you remember from her from your first fight, and what do you have to look out for in the second fight? Well, I remember she was uh, severely deconditioned. I hope that it's something that she addressed. Um, I remember the punches coming very slow. Um, it was probably, for me, in terms of performance, there's a lot of things that I went back and fine-tuned um, that I was able to execute in the NBC fight. So uh, I feel like this fight, she's going to see a totally different fighter. Um, so I'm not going to make too many more adjustments past what I did last uh, last fight. And, and regarding it, Regarding your training, uh, what are some of the things that, that you, that since that fight that you've worked on specifically, not to give out your war plans or anything like that, but what are some of the things that you wanted to work on? Well, I wanted to work on, you know, delivering, like, consistent power punches, um, maintaining that, that consistent pressure. I know people love to pressure me. Um, but me being able to fight forward and deliver, like, two solid hammers and every time uh, a punch was either, like, uh, an opportunity was there or even, like, a counter. So I was, I'm was i looking forward to uh, showcasing my skill set, but that's been the game plan all throughout camp is being able to, you know, attack with strong, strong punches. Okay. Uh, Danielle, I'm going to pass you on to Lupi Gutierrez. Lupi. Hey, B. What's going on, Lupi? Oh, not good. It's good to talk to you again. So, USA Boxing World Gold Medalist and now pro at 2-0. and How does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> and do you, have, you seen, have you seen any growth between being, you know, the highly decorated amateur and now a young undefeated pro? 
Oh, yeah, definitely a different game, um, definitely a different uh, way of setting up uh, my point of attack and also laying down my traps in the ring. It's a it's very different game. The amateur is all about uh, angles and multiple uh, layers of attack. Uh, the pros is like you kind of pick your punches and you definitely deliver damage when you have the opportunity. So it's it's, it's a different game. It is a different game. You know, we were talking about this earlier, and – one of your former Team USA teammates, Rashid Ellis, fought and lost to um, pro and world champion Maeva Hamadouche by unanimous decision in Spain last October. What do you think mm-hmm. about the pros being allowed in some countries to go to Olympic qualifiers? Well, I mean, I saw that Christina Hammer is actually going to fight for Germany. Um, she just took out I... the number one in Germany. Yeah, I, I honestly... Um, I don't think it's fair. I, for as an amateur, I feel that um, you're really actually fighting at like a high school level, and when you go pro, you have to quickly get into that PhD program. So, um, to be fair, I don't think it's fair that you know every other country is allowed to fight pros. I mean, I've had to fight pros in worlds, and it's just like you, you really do tell the difference. You, if you don't put them down quickly, they will put they will they will outpoint you with precision because they know how to pick their punches, but it's not fair. Um, Richard uh, Torres was knocked out. Um, and Rich, Richard and, um, Torres. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. Richard was knocked out by a guy who was 7-0 as a pro. He was 6-9. Um, he actually circled the ring just like very similar to um, Louise circled the ring. He, he mm-hmm. showed him the two on two separate occasions, and then he just flatlined him. So, it's not fair because an amateur pro, I mean, an amateur at that size would have gone three rounds of pity pad trying to basically outpoint Richard versus an amateur is like, I'm not getting paid for overtime, so I'm just going to put you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It is dangerous. You know, your manager, Mark Caput, he recently tweeted that you may be the only American heavyweight. And I know we all know there's a couple others, but I get what he's saying, mm-hmm. and, and he's actually right. But who are who are the heavy and the cruiser since you debuted against Monica Harrison at that weight that you know about? Are there any serious contenders for you at heavier cruiser that you're looking at? I mean, there, there are there are contenders. It's just a matter of if people want to be active. I feel mm-hmm. like because the weight class has um, kind of been dormant uh, for a little bit for like the least last five six years. And a lot of people have made the choice to go down in weight that a lot of heavyweights are just, like, kind of tired of, of, of searching for fights. So they're like, you know, just forget about it. And they'd rather give up fighting to have fights, you know. Um, and I think that was, was kind of the issue. There's a lot of quality people on, on the list in box work that are just inactive. And my message to them is, you know, start training because I want to fight. Yeah. And now there is somebody to fight, so they have no excuse if that's what they want to do. Right. And I'm here. So now that you have, I know you're here. The future is here. So now that you have some pro rounds under your belt, are you going to go out for the knockouts this time? <laughs> <laughs> that's the, if, it, if it presents itself, of course. You know, go I, mean, for it. Uh, I don't. I don't think it'll go past five rounds. I think the pressure is mm-hmm. going to be too much. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to, you know, if it gets to three, I'm also going to be very impressed. 
<laughs> but I can't wait. I, this is this is not gonna go to this is not gonna go eight rounds at all. Right on. I can't. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, love you, D. It was. It's always great talking to you. I appreciate you guys. Thank I'm you gonna so pass much. it to Felipe. Okay. Hello, hello, Daniel. Now, hey. Lupin mentions Mr. Hello, uh, D- Lupin mentions Mr. Taffet, who is very. He spoke very highly of you. We had him on the show on our last on our last episode. He 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 basically said what Lupin says that you are the future of heavyweight boxing of heavyweight well the female heavyweight boxing and you know if heavyweight boxing whether it's male or female is in good condition then the actual sport is also in good condition. So he's putting a, a little bit of weight on your shoulders. How did, how did the, your relationship with Mr. Taffet uh, start? Did he, you know, how, where did you guys meet? What were those conversations about when you guys first met? How did you guys get to start working together as a team? Well, I've never actually met Mark Taffet. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so the first fight, um, for my pro debut, uh, Clarissa asked Mark to watch my fight, and I've never met Clarissa. She said, wow. you know, this is a good fighter. She's going to, you know, I need you to take a look. And because of what he saw in, like, the first round, he was like, this is the future of heavyweight boxing. So after the fight, he got in contact with uh, my promoter, um, Marshall Kaufman. Marshall called me. He was like, hey, we need to set up a call. Um, and then I actually just talked to Mark on the phone, but I, now I talk to him regularly, but me and Mark have never actually met. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Uh, now, you know, Clarissa, she, you know, you mentioned it, you, you, you watch her, you want to meet her, which you are going to on March 5th. And I'm sure you follow her career to the point where, you know, she's kind of looking to other avenues besides boxing we've talked we spoke to you before you played other you when you played other sports you don't play boxing but you played other sports um what is more feasible for you because you know as we mentioned heavy i mean i'm looking at the at at the uh, box rec ratings right now and as far as active fighters in the heavyweight division for female i think there's about 11 that are um active you know and quite honestly, some of the records are not up to par to fight for world titles. There's actually 15. Um, you know, you're 2-0. You're going to fight for the interim title. Where I'm getting at is that, you know, your opponents might run out fairly quickly for you as far as in that division. So what's more feasible for Daniel Perkins? To try another sport as well as boxing, MMA, or to drop down in weight to try to go after a different weight class? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> well, I mean, so it, there's always opportunity, um, and I feel like opportunity will present itself. Uh, when I first started boxing as an amateur, it seemed like there were no actual females to fight. So that was one of my biggest, um, I guess, obstacles in not being able to fight is being able to find people to fight. So slowly but surely it picked up, and I feel like the same same thing's going to happen with uh, the heavyweight division, a lot of girls are going to be like, well, shoot, I don't feel like losing weight. I can actually fight at 195. Um, and more people are going to be, like, open to it because they're going to be someone notable that they can fight and people want money and they want to have good fights up front. I'd love to fight a cruiserweight that comes up as a heavyweight. You have someone who, 
very similar to like a Tyson Fury. I'd love to have that kind of fight. So I feel like the more that I'm showcased and my skill set is showcased, people are going to, you know, try to take that gamble. And I want to sit right there at the heavyweight division and sit on the throne. I do not want to take kicks in the face or have to lose 20 pounds. You know, we're, you know, we're fighting uh, Monica Harrison, who you already defeated in your pro debut. You say that you're going to go actually for the knockout, which would be something different and something that would be done at, in a much bigger platform than you did your pro debut, being that special historic Superwoman pay-per-view scheduled for March 5th from Flint, Michigan. Um, in the division, which one is your dream fight? I mean, we have Lanny Daniels. We have Lara Ramsey. We have Ari uh, Malaysia. We have Gwendolyn O'Neill. If you could choose one of those fighters that you think will raise your profile by beating them, which is the fight that you would like um, after this one? Obviously, if you come out victorious on March 5th. I want. I would like to fight Jimenez. Like, I think that would be a good fight. Tigre, Alejandra Tigre Jimenez, but she's fighting at 168. So, you know, you would think that she would come up or you would go down. I think she'd come up. That's her. That's the weight. She won't have to struggle to make weight. She's fought as a super heavyweight before. She held the WBC, and I feel like that is a weight that is comfortable for her. She's been inactive for just about uh, a year and, and change. So, why lose the weight? Just come in the ring. All you have to do is get back here, get up that ring rust off, and get back in the ring. Well, Ms. Perkins, you know. Before we let you go, why don't you let everybody know that's listening how, where to follow you, your pursuit of the title and, you know, heavyweight greatness. And also, why don't you go ahead and tell them when you're going to be fighting next. Obviously, we know we've shared it, but they would like to hear from you. All right, awesome. Um, I'll be fighting March 5th, March 5th on Clarissa Field's uh, under, uh, pay-per-view card. Uh, you can follow me at Chambers11221. Um Overall, I just want to, you know, take over the division. I want to unify the heavyweight division. That is my only goal. Well, there you have it, Miss Danielle Perkins. Don't miss out March 5th from Flint, Michigan on the Superwoman pay-per-view card. She's going to be featured on that card. We thank you, Miss Perkins, and we hopefully you get water soon in Houston. I live in Tijuana. <laughs> We're a third-world country. We run out of water all the time, so I know how difficult <laughs> that is. So, I wish you all the luck on the water issue there. Um, and we'll be watching on March 5th. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Bye. There you have it. Take care. Right. Danielle Perkins. Well, there you have it. I mean, she fought Monica Harrison already, defeated her unanimous decision. But obviously, we want to hear it. She wants to go for a knockout. And I think that would make a, that would be a big statement if she does uh, achieve it. You know, because there's one thing about heavyweight fighters, whether they be male or female, is that we want to see them knock people out. And she actually knocked out her second opponent. She only has two fights, Princess Hairston. She knocked her out mm-hmm. in the fifth round. Um, on It wasn't televised, but it was on the, uh, I think it was on that uh, Ring TV uh, on March, on December 3rd. So it wasn't televised, but she did knock out her last opponent, Princess Hairston. But obviously this is going to be a way bigger for, uh platform of this pay-per-view so she turns out getting knocking out monica Harrison. she says she should, she'll be surprised if it goes past three so hopefully we get to see that because <laughs> i don't think there's no bigger statement for a heavyweight but to score on knockout i mean that's what we want to see um let's move on because we are running a little bit of time upcoming counter not that much but we are going to have 
a lot to talk about as far as the upcoming calendar on our next show, which is March 4th. We're actually going to talk about the pay-per-view. We're going to talk about those UK fights that are coming on, like Chantel Cameron against Melissa Hernandez and a bunch more. But there is a little bit of fights coming up in the next two weeks. As I said, our next show, March 4th, upcoming calendar, Saturday, February 25th. This Saturday from the Caribe Royale in Orlando, Florida, Melissa Odessa Parker will take on Argentinian Maria Cecilia Roman in a 10-rounder at 122 pounds. So actually, that's a pretty good fight. So if this is stream for it or something, um, we should look for that. On Saturday, February 27th from the Czech Republic, um, the WBC Adamweight 102-pound champion in a non-title fight scheduled for six rounds at 112 pounds, Fabiana Bitiki will be taking on Judy Hakbo in a six-rounder at 112 and the same night from the Caribe Royale, which seems to be a little bit busy in Orlando, Florida, Jasmine Artiga will take on Randy Lynn Morales in a six-rounder at 115 pounds. One other thing before we go, there's a new feature on um, on uh, on uh, on BoxRec that if you on the on the very top toolbar, if you click on Champions, it gives you a listing of all the champions in all the divisions and. And under world champion, it says view female champions, and it'll give you a list of who their number one is in every division oh, nice. and who's the actual champion of all the different titles, including a B, secondary B-level uh, uh, titles. I'm not going to mention who. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But the one thing that I didn't like is that their rating only goes up to super middleweight. So they don't have cruiser, which there was only one title there, the WBO, which is now vacant, but they don't have heavyweights. So that, I think – they don't have female heavyweight champions listed on there, so I think that's a little bit of a, of, a, of a bad thing, but hopefully they change it pretty soon. But they do have super middleweight, which they have at super middleweight ranked number one for box rec. It's none other than the retired fighter, Christina Hammer. So let's see how long she ends up there. But with that said, David, thank you for being here. Lupe, thank you for being here. Have a good night, and we'll see you all again on March 4th. Have a good night. Good night, good night everybody. Good night.